Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. I'm TJ Capaldi of Pastoral Lackey fame, now a seminarian for the Archdiocese of Atlanta. And I'm Patrick Lamar, a biomedical engineering student here at Tech and student of the Catholic Center. And I'm Father Josh, the chaplain at the Catholic Center. So we have today with us Patrick for the first time. Uh, very exciting. He's just uh, risen to his sophomore year at Georgia Tech. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Patrick. Where'd you come from? Why are you here? What's your purpose in life? That sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, I just come from right down the street, Marietta, Georgia. I uh, went to Blessed Trinity Catholic High School in uh, Roswell. And uh, I came here in the summer of last year, played basketball for my first year uh, while studying um, engineering. And I've uh, been, been to the Catholic Center pretty much every, every week since I've been here. And uh, just happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. Happy to have you. So today we're doing something a little different. Um, we decided we would talk about a biblical story, but it's a biblical story that confuses people or gets them upset or gets them worked up, whatever it is, every single time they hear it. It's the sacrifice of Isaac or the sacrifice of Abraham or however you want to however you want to term it. The story of Abraham. The story of Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain and Abraham trying to kill his son. So we're going to have Patrick read the story first, and then we will begin speaking about it. Okay, so the testing of Abraham. Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son Isaac, your only one, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There, offer him as a burnt offering on one of the on one of the heights that I will point out to you. Early the next morning, Abraham saddled his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and after cutting the wood for the burnt offerings, set out to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham caught sight of the place from a distance. Abraham said to his servants, "Stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go on over there. We will worship and then come back to you." So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, while he, set, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two walked on together, Isaac spoke to his father Abraham. Father, he said. Here I am, he replied. Isaac continued. Here are the fire and the wood. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? My son, Abraham answered. God will provide the sheep for the burnt offering. Then the two walked on together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Next, he bound his son Isaac and put him on top of the wood on the altar. Then, then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Do not lay your, bo- your, your hand on the boy, said the angel. Do not do the least to him, for now... I know that you fear God, since you did not withhold from me your son, your only, your only one. Abraham look up, looked up and saw a single ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh. Hence, people today say, on the, on the mountain the Lord will provide. A second time, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, I swear by my very self, oracle of the Lord, 
that because you acted as you did and not withholding me from your son, your only one, I will bless you and make, make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the gates of their enemies, and in your descendants all nations of the earth will find blessing, because you obeyed my command. Abraham then returned to his servants, and, and they set out together for Bathsheba. Thank you. The word of the Lord. <laughs> All right, so first impressions, first thoughts. I would first like to point out that as Patrick was reading, TJ was sitting to my right kind of with this childlike grin on his face, occasionally mouthing words of the reading that he has apparently memorized. Um, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, first thoughts about this reading. Patrick. Um, the three promises, um, land and nation, kingship and name, and blessing of all nations. What about it? Uh, I don't know. The three promises God made to Abraham. Nice. He's like, remember, he's like, it's like high school catechism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's straight from uh, sacraments, I believe. Oh, no, 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 Old Testament covenants. That was a class. Sweet. Old Testament covenants. Well, every time. for me, the, the promises are important. The first thing that I think of, though, is... Uh, the reaction of God told this guy to kill his son and like that's killing somebody never mind your son is obviously like a heinous act but God told him to do it so so he did it so he was going to do it like that's just that kind of boggles my mind a little bit I think that's probably the point that every single parent in the world when they hear this like it disturbs them. I know lots of people who've thought about it and they think about it a little bit and they stop thinking about it because it's just too disturbing. Because they think God is like some terrible tyrant who's going to tell them to do something ridiculous. Exactly. Well, I mean, so there's all kinds of things you can talk about, right? Like, first of all, uh, it's not like God just comes out of nowhere and says, you know, to sacrifice Isaac. The history of how Isaac comes into the picture, picture is really important, right? Because Isaac is a miraculous child. Uh, Sarah is way past. She's what in her nineties or something. Something good. Um, she's yeah. way past the period where she could have a child. Abraham always thought he would have one. He's not going to have one. And now this 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 child comes to fulfill this promise that God makes that he's going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the, on the seashore. What we heard there is actually a repeat of a promise that's already been made to Abraham. Before, yeah. This yeah. was long before. That's already been made. Yeah. Long before Isaac came along, right? Right. So Isaac is supposed to be like the fulfillment of this prophecy, right? Abraham says, well, how is this going to be fulfilled? I don't even have a kid. And that's when uh, God promises he's going to have a son. You're going to name him Isaac. And he's going to carry on this great name, whatever. And now the angel appears to Abraham. And I can't remember exactly what it says there in that version, but it's something like, Abraham, here I am, Lord. Take your son, the one whom uh, no, take your son, your only begotten son, the one whom you love, Isaac. Right? It's not like he just says, "Take Isaac," but he's like identifying him. Take your son. He identifies the relationship. Your only begotten son, the only one that you have. Like I'm identifying. I'm making it clear that this is it. This is your only one, the one whom you love. Isaac. All of those things he calls him. 
take him and offer him as a burnt offering. So it's not like, it's not just like a small, or it's, it's not like a passing comment. Like he's very intentional and wants Abraham to fully recognize what he's being asked to do. That's crazy. It's, yeah. <laughs> I thought also interesting how the angel says, do not lay your hand on the boy. Do not do the slightest, least thing to him. I wasn't going to lay a hand on him. He was going to put his knife in him. Yeah. Just, you know, pointing that out. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you find that interesting? But it just before uh, Abraham is asked to basically sacrifice his son, he says, don't have an unblemished offering, I guess that would translate to. Well, then the angel comes and says, no, don't do this, and then, and then identifies that the whole thing was just a test. Yeah. Which almost makes it worse. Yeah, it almost like, makes it worse. Like the whole thing's just some kind of sick test from God. Yeah. Sounds like it. it. I mean, it's pretty disturbing, yeah. right? I remember uh, I took a class on this chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. It was an entire class just on this one chapter um, when I was in seminary. And uh, it was fascinating. Um I remember one of the interpretations we read of it was written by this philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, uh, who wrote a book called Fear and Trembling. And in this book, he's talking about kind of, he talks a little bit about the problem of evil. I mean, that's really not really the subject of it, but uh, in the first vignette in this book, he's talking about Abraham and Isaac and how the worst part of the story is a part that you hardly even notice. So he tells Abraham to sacrifice his only begotten son. And then he says, go to the mountain that I will show you. And he goes, it takes him three days to get there. So you make it even worse, right? (laughs) It's not like you've been told to do this and you do it right away without reflecting on it. Abraham's got to walk with his son for three days, knowing what God has asked him to do. Yeah. Not only is the physical torture, but the psychological torture. Oh, it's crazy. So, I, I'm just, I'm still kind of at a loss because I'm probably in that category of people who like thought about it a little bit, made sense of it, and then didn't want to think about it anymore. How did you make sense of it? Uh, I'm not sure if I really did. I mean, I think that I maybe I'm give it a pass because of like the significance within the history of salvation right like Abraham is kind of a big deal you know so like Abraham's role or I think maybe the easiest way is we say oh look I see how this connects to Jesus so its purpose is uh, like its connection right like it's the Old Testament draws us to the New Testament the New Testament sh- like reveals to us the Old Testament and I'm like alright well I don't have to think about the moral conundrum here anymore because it's useful for me to understand who Jesus is right and okay so I think that's definitely one way out of the dilemma right because now you've got and in fact the liturgy one of the readings that we have in uh, on Holy Saturday uh, for the Easter Vigil is always this reading of Abraham and Isaac. Yeah. Um, so it, it definitely belongs. It's a sign. It's called, we call it a type, right? A type of Christ that Isaac is like Christ being sacrificed. Or maybe it's Abraham that's like Christ. I mean, in fact, um, uh, Origen, uh, one of the early writers in the church, uh, says that four different characters symbolize Christ in the story. You've got 
Isaac that symbolizes Christ because he's the one who sacrificed. You have Abraham that signifies Christ because he's the one who's sacrificing. You have the ram, the ram. that signifies Christ because he's the one that's actually sacrificed. And then the fourth one. You know what the fourth one is? The angel? Uh-uh. It's the two servant boys that they leave behind. It's supposed to be a sign of the two natures of Christ. <laughs> That's what Origin says, right? <laughs> but nevertheless, right? It's obviously some thought he put into it, right? Yeah. Um, so there's these different characters that are types or symbols of Christ. And so we can look at the story and say, oh, well, okay. Now, through the lens of Jesus Christ, I can understand this story. But let's take off our... Jesus glasses? Jesus glasses and put on our yarmulkes. <laughs> and... Imagine how somebody who does not have Christ makes sense of this story. The Jews can make sense of it, too. So, like, how do they make sense of it? <laughs> I'm stumped. I mean, I would think that the, the only thing that comes to mind, really, is that the there was a much stronger sense of, like physical sacrifice uh, particularly with animals right so at least the idea of sacrifice I don't think human sacrifice but like sacrifice in general of of an animal made sense to them they understood the significance of it whereas we just think that's weird right so the story doesn't really make sense to us in that way but maybe it did to them well there's another element here um, that Historically, is very interesting, right? So when Abraham... Abraham is not originally from the land of Canaan. So the land of Canaan is the area that we would... Roughly the area we would call today present-day Israel. was the land of Canaan. Abraham came out of the north, out of the land of the Chaldeans or, or something like that. And he comes out of the north into the land of Canaan. When he came into the land of Canaan, the type of sacrifice and worship of God that was practiced in the Canaanite religions was human sacrifice. Human sacrifice. So Abraham comes down into this area where human sacrifice is practiced. So you can imagine, now God calls for a human sacrifice. Is it that surprising? Maybe not. I mean, God hasn't revealed himself that much yet, right? He's revealed himself to Abraham some, but this is the very beginning of salvation history, right? Yeah, Abraham. The very beginning. Yeah. And so... He hasn't revealed himself fully. We don't have the law yet. He hasn't there's not he hasn't done much. And Abraham is surrounded by all these people and places that participate in human sacrifice. Um, and in this kind of brutal land. So he's then told to sacrifice his son. He's sad about it, but it's not it's not incongruous with what's going on in the rest of the land. So he goes up and the sacrifice is stopped. So one way you can interpret the story is that this is kind of a definitive mark by God that this whole human sacrifice thing is done. Right? This is not what we're going to be requiring. Oh. That there is not going to be any of this. But would we... Is he just, like, kind of condemning it? I mean, we wouldn't say that the Canaanites who were participating in human sacrifice had a true religion, would we? Uh... I mean, they weren't Jewish. Uh, well, no, I mean, they, they certainly weren't worshiping, like, the one God, but the one God hadn't revealed himself yet. I see. Okay. But he's just started revealing himself. 
It makes sense. Right? Yeah. So now it's very clear that like this is not how this is going to happen. In fact, you can read almost from the very beginning of salvation history this kind of stance that comes up later in the prophets and the late prophets where God starts saying, you know, stop offering all these sacrifices to me. And he's not even talking about humans at that point. It's just talking about like oil and grain and, you know, animals. killing animals and burning them. and Like stop offering all this to me. This doesn't actually do anything. What I want is a sacrifice of your heart. So if you offer this animal and the animal is a symbol of something that's actually from your heart, then that's great. But if it's just, you know, we could just kind of get used to the fact that, oh, no, no, we got to kill an animal and give it to God every once in a while. Um, that's not something that's opening our heart to God. So so would you say that uh, God was speaking to Abraham in a way that he would understand so that he would most clearly get the message? That is certainly one possible interpretation of the story. Okay. I think you've got, you got the kind of the type of Christ interpretation. You have this end of human sacrifice interpretation. But I still think you're left with the moral problem. And that is, I mean, so it actually kind of gets into something that involves the nature and essence of God. I mean, can would God ask someone to accomplish anything by doing something that's so gravely contrary to the natural law? I mean, isn't it sort of, isn't it sort of an offense to the entire idea of the natural law? that God would ask Abraham to kill someone? Something we don't need revelation to know. is yeah. like You don't need revelation to know that killing someone's wrong. It's like... So, so you That's can, why in the present day I feel like if someone were to hear the voice of God telling him to kill his child, he wouldn't deem that the voice of God telling him to do that. So then why did Abraham? So there, there's the yeah. problem, right? right? So what do you do? What do you do if somebody says to themselves, well, I mean, I, I hear God telling me that I should kill all these people. That's like, you guys were too young, but like David Koresh, uh, you wouldn't have remembered this, but the Waco, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah the, Waco, the Texas, and the whole thing that they were doing there, right? Like, that whole thing, he was convinced he was hearing God telling him to do all this stuff, and they all end up dying, right? Um, we call that guy crazy. And yet we look at Abraham as the father of faith. He's the <laughs> example of faith, right? In the catechism, when the catechism talks about faith, it tells the story of Abraham mm -hmm. and all the different elements and how it shows different aspects of faith. And yet, if the thing happened today, we'd put the guy away, right? We'd say he's crazy. I think this is why people have a problem with it. Yeah. It's like, how did Abraham know? How did he know that it was God telling him to do that? I mean, it's not like, it's not like in the story we get any sort of... There's no miraculous sign accompanying this instruction. Right? Is there? What does it say? How does it start? The angel appears to him, right? Yeah. Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test and said, Abraham, here I am. He replied, then God said, take your son Isaac, your only one whom you love. And go All right. So the, Abraham, the angel appears and says. Or just it just says God said. Yeah, God, God says. says right. right. So he's just kind of, he's hearing a voice in his head. Right. He's hearing a voice in his head. Now, I have been to places where people hear voices in their head and they tell you that it's God telling them to do something. Right? I've been to places like that. Most of them are wearing straight jackets. <laughs> like this that this that's the problem, right? The Christological interpretation, fine. Yeah. The interpretation of ending human sacrifice, fine. But why this way? Why this way? And we could we could say that okay, if God orders you to do it, 
if God orders you to do it, God is not bound by any of these laws. We, we would definitely say that if God orders you to kill somebody, it's not a violation of the law. But the problem is, how do you know it's God? How did he know? Um, did it? Maybe it had to do with uh, the ways that God had spoken to him in the past. Um, it was consonant with, you know, like the promises. I mean, this was a guy who had been spoken to by God before. It's true. You know, so just from a practical perspective, he already knows what that's like, which is crazy. Um, and so if that was legitimate, then he would... And God came through on bringing him the son that had been promised to him. Um, so if it was the same, then I guess that makes more sense, right? That he would know that it was God. Uh, I don't know if that answers the question or the conundrum, but I can see where, you know, in his experience that would make sense. What do you think, Patrick? What? So what do you think? um, Maybe he convinced himself it was God. Maybe he heard the voice. I don't uh, think you're. I don't think you're helping him any. (laughs) Saying that, (laughs) he convinced himself. Was there uh, anything before that uh, would have led him to think that something like that would happen? I mean. So now we're kind of getting... I'm actually looking for it right now. Now we're getting um, to the point that is spoken about in the letter to the The Hebrews. Hebrews, Right? So if you really want to try to understand... um, If you really want to try to understand what uh, Abraham must have been thinking you got to kind of think about it at least through the way that it's been, it was interpreted by St. Paul or whoever wrote the letter to the Hebrews. And St. Paul kind of makes it clear that Abraham followed these instructions because he knew God was always faithful to his promises. And God had promised that his descendants would come through Isaac. So Abraham knew. He knew without question that whatever was going to happen was going to end with God. his descendants coming from Isaac. So Isaac would have to survive no matter what. So there is a question of whether that is faith in the resurrection or whether that's faith in the fact that the angel was going to stop him. Right? St. Paul says it was due to his faith in the resurrection. His belief in the resurrection. Wow. Um, so that's kind of a third way. You know? Um, I don't know that we've uh, solved the problem of Abraham and Isaac, but it's definitely a, a very important story. It's one of those things that if you pray with this story, I a lot of times when I'm starting with spiritual direction with people, I'll give them, this is not the first one I give them, but um, in the first several months of spiritual direction, I'll give them different stories from the Bible that they're supposed to spend a whole month with and not pray with anything else. And uh, this is one that I usually give people. And if you spend a whole month with it, it's amazing what you pull out of it. It's absolutely amazing what you pull out. Um, but it is one of the most difficult passages, uh, and it's one we just have to grapple with. I mean, we grapple with it a little bit. I don't think we've solved any problems, but uh, certainly given ways to, to think about it. Um, so we hope you have enjoyed this, uh, the Hell of a Catholic podcast. We thank Patrick for joining us. 
And if you have any questions, concerns, comments, possible topics, uh, send us an email at podcast at gtcatholic.org. Thank you very much. God bless.